Hi, we're the Rices. We've been married for 12 years. We have six kids from the ages of nine to zero, and we're full of passion to raise a household that serves and honors the Lord. And we want to encourage others to do the same. Welcome back to Raising Rices. We are so excited. Today is our first video podcast. I know. Trying something new and (laughs) risky. So risky, especially since we're so old school in so many things. But we have an amazing topic to talk about today. Actually, one that we didn't really grow up exploring. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our convictions come out of our upbringing. We learn something as we grow up and we say, hey, we really want to expound on that good thing that we grew up with. And our conviction today really is something that we didn't grow up with a lot of. Yeah. And it's not to say that that what we're going to talk about today wasn't valued by our parents. Right. But I just think that maybe in the age that we were growing up, it wasn't necessarily a priority in which we are trying to make it a priority in our family. And that is, we have a strong conviction that it is imperative, not just important, imperative that we teach our kids about church history. Hmm, What an interesting topic because (laughs) church history is full of all kinds of events, all sorts of men. And we know that man is sinful. And so there's errors and there's mistakes. And a lot of times church history is used against the church. Yeah. And so I think that's where a lot of Christians sometimes try to shy away from really engaging in learning church history mm-hmm. because they are scared maybe of what they might uncover. A sinful man? Right. <laughs> yes. But you know what? This isn't just in regards to church history. You find this in American history. Right. You find this in world history that people blame or shame. Sure. When they talk about certain events that have happened. I mean, what was it? Two years ago, they were tearing down statues. Oh, yeah. All sorts of famous Americans, founding fathers, men that did good in their time. Uh, They'll find one thing. You know, it was before the era of Twitter, but one tweet, so to say. (laughs) And uh, and they'll hold that out of context against the, the era that they were living in. And they'll hold that one thing against them and say, we can disregard every good thing that they did for one piece of evil that we've elevated today to say that is the worst sin. Yeah. And so we discredit everything else they did. I think, yeah, I think the problem is with any sort of history, any sort of even current pastors, elders, people you look up to is that sometimes we can elevate those people to a pedestal. Or have this expectation that they are supernatural and perfect and have no flaws. We even do that with our parents, right? But the truth is that there's only one person ever that walked this earth that was able to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Only one perfect God-man. Yes. Jesus Christ himself. And to hold anybody else to that standard or to expect that they're going to live to that standard is unrealistic. But in that knowledge, in that understanding, yeah. it's really important that we don't discredit all of the good, righteous, Holy Spirit-led things that men of God have done 
for centuries, right? We don't discredit Paul. Right. Right? The author. Even though Paul. Yeah. (laughs) Even though Paul had a very, very sketchy and sinful past, Mm -hmm. we, we don't discredit his writings. They're more than half or almost half of the New Testament. And so in the same way, although the writings of famous men in church history are not scripture, it is important that we don't just discredit everything that they wrote, but that we look at it carefully and bring forward a great legacy of the preservation of scripture that has been a work of the Holy Spirit here on earth for the last 2000 years. And that I think is something that's really important not to lose hold of. Yeah. And as always, we like to talk about character qualities that are developed when we hold such convictions. And one of the ones that we were actually, we had a couple over for dinner the other night and they um, brought the topic up of church history. The um, husband actually did a class on it at the church, which was so cool. Um, But one of the things that they said gets expanded on is our confidence in our faith when we see what has transpired for years. Yeah, yeah, we the the confidence in your faith is built, right? When you see the the history of faithful men that have gone before you and you see that the doctrine that you believe today, yeah, is not new. It's not some new revelation, but that it is an, a historical doctrine of the church that does hold some weight because then for Hundreds or even thousands of years, generation after generation of Christian has continued to hold that belief. Yeah. Like through many debates. Right. Through many people trying to lead astray. Right. right? It has remained true. Right. For example, like an Arian heresy that says uh, Jesus is only the son of God, not equal with God and not eternal. That that heresy has been around since just a few hundred years after Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. But for thousands of years now, the church has been refuting that heresy with strong statements of strong men who are biblically sound coming together all across the church world. This is before the split of the East and West Church, before the Catholic Church's corruption, Right. We forget about even those early, early portions of history that are so important because even today, we live in an area that is wrought with an Aryan heresy. And it's really important to know that our Trinitarian belief in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is not a new thing. Right. But that it has almost 2,000 years of history of faithful Christians backing that up. And you know what's awesome is that not only are your confidence, not only is your confidence built by these amazing truths that have withstand all of the temptations and all of the errors and the heretics and all the things that have been played so that you can grow in your faith when you learn about this through the church history, but also it gives you an amazing apologetic to be able to explain your faith, to be able to do the test And, and that what you just shared is an example of an apologetic mind frame. Right. And knowledge of the history 
is very helpful. And in this episode, we're not going to like <laughs> dig all the way into all of the knowledge of this particulars of the history. But unfortunately, recently, especially I've seen church history is attempted to be used against the Christian faith. They'll say, oh, well, your belief is just based on the Council of Nicaea that was really run by Constantine, and it's just a big political ploy to make the church the religion of Rome, and it's all a sham. And it is important to know and understand a rebuttal to that false argument that's made frequently in the world today. And they'll use that argument to push whatever kind of social agenda they want or whatever alternative view of the Trinity or, or, or various kind of things. But if we don't know and understand the importance of those early church councils, then we don't have those statements to stand on. And the statements to stand on that come out of the Nicene Creed and the Apostolic Creed and other early creeds are so important. They're so grounding to our faith and explain our belief in such a simple way. They're a great apologetic tool to fall back on and say, okay, like after scripture, right? We bring everything before scripture, but after scripture, we know and understand that these creeds and confessions have succinctly laid out our belief, summarizing scripture into a few statements. Yeah, and the Nicene Creed is also referred to as the Apostles' Creed, correct? Well, they're actually two different different creeds, but they're very similar. They borrow from each other. The Nicene Creed was actually, I believe, first in history, even though the Apostles' Creed sounds Sounds like like it's older. (laughs) Yeah. What I was going to say, though, is that these creeds remind me kind of like a a pledge almost, right? right? Like Mm -hmm. the kids and I for homeschool, we do the Pledge of Allegiance. We've been learning the Apostles' Creed, which apparently is different than I've seen. Look how much I have to learn. (laughs) Um, But what is great about pledges or creeds is that you're stating your faith. Right. You're stating what you believe and that you're internalizing that in a a memorable memorization type of way. Right. Yeah. It's succinct. Yeah. It's very clear. And those creeds have been used for generations to determine who is within orthodoxy of the Christian church and who falls outside of that. And I wouldn't know some of the things that I am sharing today if I hadn't recently read this book. This is Christ and Creed by Nate Pickowitz, and it's the early church creeds and their value for today. And it's a very small read, but it goes over just a little blurb about a lot of these old creeds. And then even up to um, the, like the Baptist confession of faith, like the 1689 and some of the later confessions, which are broader or like um, the catechisms, like mm-hmm. Luther's catechism and some of those later ones. It has a brief explanation of the purpose and the place in history that those hold as well. That's so good. And, you know, I actually listened to another podcast interview of Pastor Nate, and that's why I got this book for Darren. But um, one of the things he was saying, Pastor Nate, was that he didn't grow up learning the creeds either. And I think he explains that right in the beginning. And so he was wanting to find a succinct way to communicate about the creeds, about their stances, about when they happened for his church body. And then he... 
is blessing others as well. You can just pick it up on Amazon, which we're not promoting Amazon here. But yeah. um, one of the things that I appreciate, though, is that just because he didn't grow up with it or because it was new, <clears throat> that he didn't shy away from that. And that right. is what we're trying to do here in in our family within our conviction is to push in rather than to get nervous. Now, Hello, we want to interrupt this podcast today to let you know that it is brought to you by Heritage Home Family Farm, a Christian family seeking to bring a legacy of flavors to your table. This family is passionate about building the family culture and making homemade with ease. They have a series of spices, loose leaf teas, and baking mixes available to make delicious, clean, and easy homemade food at your table and in your kitchen a possibility in today's busy world. Find out more at heritagehomefamilyfarm.com. I have to tell you that Darren says all these, you know, huge, long words, and I still am trying to keep up, right? Like, um, he's just doing such a great job learning and exploring, and when he says things like, Trinitarian, I know that one. But if you said something that you're like, wait, what does that mean? The cool thing is in uh, the back of this book, um, it gives you a lots of definitions in their glossary about different um, terms right. um, that is used to separate or divi- uh, uh, differentiate. Yeah. Ooh, these words are getting me. <laughs> um, between different beliefs, right. which is important we it says in the new testament that christ came with a sword right and that although yes he loves everyone and mm-hmm. everyone is made in the image of god there is consequences right. for not understanding or putting yourself in a place to learn about right. the differences yeah there there's a and, there's ahead. a division like i was just talking to a friend of ours the other day and in the course of our conversation we kind of said doctrine divides and, and that's that idea of like, is what your beliefs are, are they inside orthodoxy or are they outside orthodoxy? Mm-hmm. And one of the things, you know, we're talking about um, character traits that yeah. these importance on church history and our conviction about church history builds. And one of those really being that it gives you um, a way to give an answer. Yeah. And uh, Peter talks about that in First Peter, that we should be ready to give an answer for the faith that we have, for the hope that we have. And I think in today's world, it can kind of get caught off guard when somebody asks you, like, well, you believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Right. And Or may interject. Yeah. Some across different religious sects will say they believe in Jesus. Right. But what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? (laughs) Just like what you said. But they all have the same uh, term, but not definition. Right? Would you say that? Yeah. So they use the same term. They define it differently. And knowing or at least being familiar with some of these creeds that come out of the earliest part of church history, I think it's tremendously helpful to say, hey, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that they're eternally one God expressed in three persons, and that they all have eternally coexisted together, not that it is one and then the other and then the other, different revealings of God in different Mm -hmm. times. and. So just really simple things like that, those come out of church history. And so we don't need to reinvent those things now or or suppose to have some simpler explanation. There, there are simple explanations from the early, early church that 
are just tremendously helpful to clarify things in our world today that's so full of subjective truth and alternative definitions to many of these things. Yeah, and let's be clear, it comes from the Bible right? and their study of the scriptures and then their conversations and debate and um, community surrounding the scripture. And as that progresses hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it is so awe-inspiring and such a God thing that the same foundational truth is discovered right through different godly men yeah every century right yeah every generation that comes back and reads the scriptures and studies it for themselves they they draw the same conclusions out of scripture mm-hmm. and but i guess say it this way like we're supposed to read scripture in context of all of scripture right so when we read one passage we know that scripture doesn't contradict itself and we read that text in the context of the book and the author and who it's written to, but then also in the context of all of scripture. And so, and and we have to be careful with that because then in like Corinthians where, um, or, or Colossians where it's, it says that Jesus is the, the firstborn of all creation. Then we have to juxtapose that against what Jesus says about himself in John and then understand that as the firstborn, he's the inheritor of all creation, but not the first thing that God created, right? right? So we we differentiate ourselves from heretical teachings by reading the whole scripture in context and understanding each verse in the context of all of scripture. And without doing the study for ourselves, having a creed or a confession that... It helps us, I think, to do that. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's a very resourceful tool. Right, because you're you're drawing on the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of generations of men that have came before us. And yet you take that just like you should on a Sunday morning with your pastor when right. they are preaching. You take those words and you put them back to the Bible mm-hmm. to see, right? Right. Is this a confirmation yeah. And as Darren said, the Bible is not going to contradict itself as God would not contradict himself. Right. And so if you are looking at the whole Bible, you can see how these verses all incorporate together. I think of it in terms of motherhood as well. I have right now six kids, seven on the way. Yes. Number seven's come in. And I love to have a child, love being sarcastic, love to have a child come down and say, so-and-so did this, right? And then, um, praise the Lord, we have six kids. One after another, I get more pieces to the story, right? right? But if I just had that one piece, I would not know the whole Right. Um, situation, and I would make judgment based on that one piece, right. well, as not I should. All of the information, yes, yeah. But once I have gathered everything together, I can see the missing holes. Right. <laughs> Same with trying to make sure we don't take a verse out of context, yeah. Because you are not, you don't have that whole picture to rightly apply what was said in that verse. Right. Right. So important. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to tattle tell on Darren as we're talking about these character qualities. Um, and Darren, 
because he's so passionate about the subject, has already jumped to a little bit of the challenges, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, he loves learning about American Puritans. Mm -hmm. It is so um, enriching to him to find men and families, their wives and their children that came with them, that felt so convicted by their beliefs that they were willing to show that Christ is above all, right? Right. right. Um, to count the cost, as yeah. they would say, and really give everything to come and have religious freedom in America. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's like kind of a, a character trait of boldness that reading and understanding that period of history from the 1500s and really before that, the 1400s and the 1300s, all the way leading up and through the Puritans and the 16 and 1700s and um, the Puritans coming to America, some of them, and then many actually remaining in England and the surrounding Scottish area. Yeah. Um, so impactful to know and understand the risk that those men took for the truth of the gospel, the tremendous persecution, religious persecution that they endured in all portions of their life is just, it gives you boldness. It gives mm -hmm. you a uh, passion and hope and it and a and a just a tremendous example that comes before you that you can really just build off of and and go forward in confidence knowing that God provides for his people mm -hmm. and that when you are acting according to your conviction in the truth that that is what God calls us to do. Yeah. And did the Puritans get it right 100% of the time? The answer well, is obvious. Right. Yes. No, because they are sinful humans. Right. And we aren't putting our hope in them. No. Right? But we can see the, as Darren said, boldness and courageousness that it took to stand for the truth right. against circumstances. We also see that with the Reformers. Right. And um, every uh, October 31st, yes, there is... A holiday that is, um, we actually already did a podcast on this. There is a holiday that is played out in America and around the world, but in our family, we play out a different yeah. um, historical scene, and that is the Reformation. Yeah, we really take a, a big chunk of October leading up to that to e examine and teach our kids about the Reformers and their history, and and of course, like like we talked about earlier, like can you agree with everything Luther said and can can Luther be skewed into some anti-Semite that hated Jews and had mistakes and faults in his life? Of course. But can you take so much of the good that he did in, in reforming, in, you know, an effort to reform the Catholic Church and reclaim the gospel and the work that he did in coordination with many other reformers that I think frequently get lost in that history all the way back, including Tyndale and Knox and others. It, such an impactful portion of history where these men were risking their lives to put the Bible, to put the word of God in the hands of everyday people and to preach the gospel, to preach the Bible to everyday people in their own language 
such an impact and a change that it had on the the whole of Christian history moving right. forward since then. And when we celebrate Reformation Day, we're not celebrating these individual men, right? But we're celebrating the truth that they stood for. Right. Just like one of the um, challenges that could arise, and we've just alluded to it so many times, is that when you put your hope in the person right, rather than the message, right, rather than christ himself yeah but you're putting your hope maybe in in a puritan in a reformer in even like i i mean i'm gonna be bold and say like some of us um like um i want to say i'm gonna be bold but cautious (laughs) you all know me by now that's okay but calvin john calvin and calvinism is a big word that is um important to study Yep. Important to know his truth, but we are not followers of Calvin. Right. Right. I mean, the Bible talks about this. Why why do you suppose to be followers of Apollos or followers of this person or that person? Right. Follow Christ. But don't lay aside the teachings of everybody else just because you are, you know, only going to read the red letters in your Bible and you're going to disregard any person of any wisdom that the Lord has put in a position to teach and admonish his church. Right. Right. So you, you can't, it, we're saying don't disregard. Right. <laughs> but don't idolize. Yes. Right. And idolize, um, that idols in general has been something that has hurt from day one right. <laughs> to today. When we are putting our trust, when we are putting our worship, when we're putting our attention on something other than Christ. Right. Yeah, and so gain boldness, gain um, good doctrine, gain uh, hope from the men who've gone before us in church history, but know that many of them came with different faults at different times of their lives or understood different doctrines in different ways than maybe we even understand them now. I heard somebody talking about kind of church history and... There's so much emphasis coming out of the Reformation on salvation, right? Like, oh, and and so the earlier, like we've talked about early in church history, it was the Trinity, right? Establishing who Jesus was. What is Christology? What is the Trinity? And then in the 13, 14, 15, 1600s, what is the function of church? And what is Mm -hmm. the doctrines of salvation, right? And then you fast forward to now, and the in, in the last 200 years, there's been more discussion about eschatology. Right. And kind of sorting out what are the different doctrines? What are our different ideas? And as so as the church grows, as time passes since Christ's death and resurrection, we should expect that the, the sophistication of our doctrine, that the growth of our doctrine gets deeper. Yeah. But we shouldn't throw away the the doctrines of church history that have come before us. You have to, right. it's both. And that is a challenge, right? right. Um, some people would say, well, you just need to read the Bible and discover what it says for yourself. Right. Or the coined phrase like in studies is, well, what is it speaking to you? Right. Yeah. What does it mean to you? And I mean, we're, we smile and we laugh because we know our sinful hearts. Right, yeah. Right? and there or, is, or your lack of knowledge of the whole Bible to right. rightly interpret a passage. Yeah, and so there yeah. is wisdom and there is 
confidence and security in a multitude right. of believers rightly dividing the Bible. Right. And we said that when we moved here to Idaho, we were really concerned or on the top of our priority list when we were looking yeah. for a church that we would go to a church with a plurality of right. elders, mm-hmm. not just one, right? That is, uh, could be uh, misinterpreting or could be persuaded. Right. Right. Cause there, there's a, there's a, an accountability yes. that comes. So like even at our church, when our pastors preach on Thursday, they submit their messages to the other pastors. And so there's an accountability in the doctrine that they have in their notes that they say, oh, you might want to clarify this. You might want to add this or, or that, that I don't think is the point of the passage, but, and, and it sounds like to me from having conversations with them that the discussion is generally encouraging, Yeah, but it's a good accountability, accountability to have there where if you have the opposite of that, you have a pastor that um, is flying solo in his church and it takes him more like inductive only uh, manner of study to say, I'm only going to study the passage and I'm not going to consult, um, you know, creeds and confessions. I'm not going to consult church history. I'm not going to consult commentaries. I'm just going to, you know, me and the Holy spirit and this passage, there's more risk Mm -hmm. for, um, being sidelined, even uh, honestly, unintentionally, right? No, like not, not intentionally taking a path astray, but even being sidelined by our culture or right. by the the subconscious influences or subconscious alternative worldviews that are held that can stray from an orthodox view of the passage. And I think that's important to know. We talk so much today in the church about testimonies and the power of our testimonies and we share our testimonies and we encourage each other by them. But I, I think that the testimonies of the people you know are important because you can ask those people questions and they can answer your questions and you can relate with them. But in a way, the testimonies of men that have come before us and women that have come before us are also so powerful mm-hmm. because they have a testimony of faith. They have a testimony of God's provision. They have a testimony of salvation and those things also are encouraging to us and yeah. also should be used to encourage us and strengthen our faith. Yeah, testimonies and church communities are all for edifying the body, right? right? To be sent out to do the Great Commission. Um, I also think of another challenge. Uh, yes, we talked about the accountability of the pastor or of the one giving the word that Sunday morning. But there's also something to be said about the, you know, 2,000 years of church um, habits. What's right. the word? Is that the right like word? Like liturgy? Yes. Or, and yeah. that there is temptation to want to do what is relevant right. to the culture. Um, a seeker-friendly, maybe, would be another word mm-hmm. that you might have heard thrown around. There's a temptation to stray in order to, I believe people have good intentions. So right. I don't, you know. Oh, yeah. But I think there is something powerful to be said about how, um, and, and you brought up the time period where they looked into 
how churches run, mm-hmm. right? And there's something to be said about that, right. right? Yeah, I mean, going from the the Catholic Church and the Church of England that were very uh, ceremonial and almost idolatrous in the ideas of um, certain images and certain acts being used to conjure the presence of the Lord. And really out of the Reformation came an idea of the sacraments and came an idea of seeing and singing Mm -hmm. and teaching the word, right? So we see the word by the sacraments, namely communion and baptism. We sing the word and we preach the word. And those are, I believe, the essentials of church. Yeah. And so as you're living in our society today in an effort to be seeker sensitive or not to offend, it is important that we draw from church history mm-hmm. and say, hey, these are the essentials of church. Obviously, those essentials that they came to the conclusion of come from scripture. Right. Right. But we can take scripture and we can take church history and we can say, hey, here's the essentials of church. Let's not miss it. Yeah, let's not <laughs> let's not leave those things out when we're gathering together. Yeah. So, um, you have do you have one more thing? You oh, I just want to say, you know, when we're talking about testimonies, this book is really really cool. It's got some pictures, Reformation Heroes. It's called, and it's by Diana Klein K L E Y N and Joel Beakey B E E K E, and it's it's just got short. Um, summaries yeah of the of the lives of many of the reformers really further back than i was familiar with into the 1300s and then forward all the way into the 1600s really really cool book that's accessible to the kids so you can read it of all ages yeah yeah so you can read it you can gain some information and then when i was teaching like our littlers you know, you pull out some of the paragraphs that are the highlights, mm-hmm. um, but it's it, it's not like novels <laughs> on each person, you know, which can be daunting, but it gives a great overview of their testimony. Yeah, so good. Wow. This has been a really great conversation. And as Darren said, it's very high level, right? Like fly over on an airplane and say, oh, hi, church history and keep going. Yeah. So if this is interesting to you, if you have more questions about it, you can always reach out to us. Um, We have Instagrams at Raising Rices and at Lead Your Family. We'd love to um, answer questions, give you resources that we've used, even share our own testimony with how we've... um, come to this place and our conviction. Yeah. And uh, we are so excited. Next week, we have our first guest. Yes. So you'll want to tune in. Special guest next week. We hope that you have a blessed week this week. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.